Okay, church. As Josh said, this evening I have the um, honor of preaching on God the Son. Uh, and uh, I know that this sermon series is different. In a lot of ways it can feel, um, at least as I was preparing and uh, as I've heard series similar to this before, it can feel a lot like a lecture, a class lecture. And, and those, are, those are good. Uh, the Bible tells us that we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, and all of our minds. But uh, in the middle of something like this, we can be tempted to simply treat it like a lecture and not allow it to treat it, not treat it like a sermon where it affects our hearts. So um, this evening, as we go through this, I pray that as we go through these truths about Christ, don't, don't simply uh, allow this to be something that you know about Jesus. Instead, I pray that knowing these truths and understanding them will deepen your relationship with Jesus and cause you to love him more. Um, in a time like this, uh, COVID-19, this empty sanctuary, and we're all listening from our homes, uh, there can be a lot of discomfort. Uh, but I pray that as we look to Jesus tonight, that you would be comforted by him, our, our King and our Savior, so uh, let's begin. We're going to uh, start by reading this section of the Baptist faith and message. We're reading um, the second, uh, we're reading um, the, about God, the Son. It says this, Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience and in his substitutionary uh, death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. So in this, I think there are eight distinct sections, um, the eight distinct statements. Um, and so what I'm going to attempt to do is I'm going to look at each statement um, as briefly and uh, as needed. Um, and at the end of all of that, give a, uh, a brief application to us. So the first statement is Christ is the eternal son of God. I think that um, this must be the very first statement about God in this confession. It's vital for us to understand the person of Christ, that he is the eternal son of God. Christ has always and eternally been the son of God. This is not something that just happened. Christ was not uh, suddenly God's son at his incarnation. No, scripture teaches us that for all eternity past, all of the present and all of eternity future, Jesus Christ has been and forever will be uh, the eternal Son of God the Father. Uh, consider Ephesians 1, um, 3 
and 4. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Uh, this, this verse points out that, uh, God's that God's people were chosen in Jesus from eternity past. Um, in verse 4 it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So, so Christ the Son was there already eternally. Also in John chapter 1 uh, verse 3 it says that all things, all of creation was made through Jesus. And without him uh, was not anything made. So everything was made in Christ Jesus and he was there at the beginning at creation. So Jesus Christ, God the Son, was present in creation and all things were made through him. Um, and he has been here and will be eternally. The second statement um, that we have is his, in his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived from the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. As we understand the first point uh, that Christ is the eternal Son of God, it makes sense, I think, that this is the, it, it makes this second statement even, um, even more amazing. You see, the eternal God himself, God who has always been, always was, was completely satisfied in himself without anything. That God entered into human history and that that in of itself is nothing short of a miracle. Uh, that God did this action. He came into this finite, simple time uh, to be with us. And he was conceived um, in, of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. Uh, we, we see evidence of this. Let's look at um, Matthew Chapter, chapter 1. All right, Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin in, uh, I'm going to read verse 18, 20, and then 24 and 25. It says, Now Jesus, uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be of child from the Holy Spirit. In verse 20 says, but as he, uh, Joseph, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then verses 24 and 25 say, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded in him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. These, these verses explicitly tell us that Jesus was born uh, of a virgin and conceived of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous way. Um, now, uh, the virgin birth is really, really important for us as, as Christians. Um, and there are at least three areas of importance that I'll just uh, quickly mention. One is that it shows that salvation must come from God and not from human effort. Um, our salvation only has come through the supernatural work of God into human history. There has been nothing that man has done on our own to achieve our salvation, including finding a proper savior. 
the Savior had to have come from God in a miraculous way entering into human history. Uh, two, the virgin birth makes the full unity of, of, of deity and humanity possible. So we believe that Jesus is fully God and we believe that he's fully human. This is the only real logical way that that, that could have happened. Um, his deity is evident from the miraculous conception and his humanity is even evident in his ordinary birth. Yet, uh, had Jesus been made in human form in heaven, so had Jesus been created in heaven in human form and then stuck into the world, we would have a hard time truly relating to him as human because of his origins, uh, because he was not born as us. Uh, now, had it been the other way, uh, other way around, had he actually had an earthly father and was uh, conceived and born just like you and I, we would have a very difficult time believing in his, his deity because his origins are exactly the same. He is one, exactly one of us. He, he, he would not have that deity aspect. Um, but God in his infinite wisdom uh, made and ordained a way that our Savior could enter history in this unique way that displays his deity and humanity fully. And finally, the third um, area of importance is this, that the virgin birth makes Jesus' full humanity without inherited sin possible. So he's born just like you and I. He is uh, raised and grows like a, a little child. Yet, he does not have that inherited sin that is passed down since the fall from Adam. Um, scripture tells us in other places, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, this is not true of Jesus. Jesus has not sinned and not fallen short of God the Father. Um, he does not have that inherited sin within him. Number three, um, our, our third distinct statement here in our confession is that Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind yet without sin. Uh, here I go uh, to our, um, uh, the passage that Josh Womble read for us earlier, our call to worship. Um, at least in part of it, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 say, have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God. In taking on human nature, he took on a lot. This passage tells us that he humbled himself, even he emptied himself by taking the form of a human. Jesus, who as, as God, before taking on humanity, had never experienced weakness. And now he was just like you and I. He was weak. He had a human body with aches. He had a human body with pains. He had a human mind. He had a human soul and emotions, and yet, and yet, he was sinless. And, and in that way was Jesus distinct from us, that his, his full deity, his full humanity, and, and sinless. Now, 
this is absolutely necessary. Jesus must, must be in the form of a human. He must take on our weaknesses. Um, he must meet the demands that God has set for us. You see, Jesus' humanity is essential to our faith and the necessity of his humanity is evident. Um, and we'll see now in the next, I think, five listed, um, five listed statements or distinct statements here how Jesus' humanity was necessary for us. So we'll go on to the next one. It's number four. It's this. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience. And in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. In his humanity, Christ's obedience to the Father was necessary for us. His obedience meets the standard that Adam was unable to keep. You see, his obedience even to the point of death, is what actually enables us to be redeemed. He is honored uh, by his personal obedience. He honored, excuse me, he honored the law by his personal obedience. And his personal obedience is our uh, representative Obedience. You and I, though we try as believers, though we love the Lord with all our heart, we fail and we fail and we fail. And our personal obedience can never be enough to make us right with God. In fact, even if from today forward we never were to sin again, it would not be enough because we sinned five minutes ago and we sinned this morning. No, it is Christ's personal obedience that is our representative obedience. He, his obedience represents us in front of God, in front of the court of God. Again, we, we uh, have more passages here. Um, another verse from that same passage earlier, Philippians 2, uh, 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself even to the point of death, even by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' obedience was not limited to a small fraction. He, he was obedient all the way to death. Hebrews 2, 16 and 18 tell us this, for surely it is not angels that, that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people or to be a replacement, to be a sacrifice, to atone for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It is only as a sinless man, uh, only as a sinless man was Jesus able to be a fit and right and perfect sacrifice that's needed to cover the sins of humanity. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. And it is through his resurrection that we have hope in God's power over death. And so that, that leads us um, to our fifth distinct statement. And that is this. He, Jesus, was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before the crucifixion. Luke 24, 1 uh, and following 
gives us um, this, this peek, this, this, this glimpse into what happened there on resurrection day. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Now, later in the chapter, um, a couple of verses down, it reads this. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. You see, we see that upon Jesus resurrection. He wasn't resurrected merely in spirit. In fact, the Bible there in Luke 24 says very clearly, it wasn't just spirit. He was body. He told his disciples, touch and see, recognize me. Uh, we, we learn a couple of things from this passage. There's some important aspects about Jesus's bodily resurrection for our lives. Um, the resurrection at least has four important points for it. Uh, so I'll, I'll, let's review these four important points real quick. One, his resurrection ensures our own. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, for he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our being born again, our resurrection, our spiritual and future physical, literal resurrection rest wholly on Christ Jesus' own resurrection. You see, uh, the writer here is connecting Jesus' resurrection with ours and in this new resurrection life, Jesus is raised from the dead, just as he said. And in this new risen state, he has a new glorified body. Did you notice how in that passage in Luke, how the body of Christ was referenced? They, they didn't immediately reckon it. They thought they saw a spirit. It must have been different, but it, it, um, it was a body. They could touch it. They could feel his hands. They could feel his feet. And Jesus' resurrection ensures our own bodily resurrection as well, that we will be like him. Uh, moving on, number two, his resurrection ensures our justification. Um, Romans 4 uh, briefly talks about how our justification in Christ is, does, it, it's on, hinges on his resurrection. It says that, um, this verse is talking about um, Abraham, and it says, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus' resurrection ensures our justification. Uh, three, his resurrection assures that we will receive perfect bodies as well. I briefly hinted at this on the first one. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15 is 
probably the longest and, and uh, most clear description that we have of this, even though it's still relatively unclear. But um, I will just say this, uh, rather than reading a large portion of that chapter, um, read it just a couple of verses here, 40 and 41 say, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. And there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars for the stars different. So there's different types of, of bodies and he's making this point. Uh, verse 42 says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. And now I'm, I'm gonna jump down to verse 49 where it says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Christ's resurrection ensures that we too will receive bodies like his. We will be recognizable, we will be similar, yet we will be different. Finally, uh, his resurrection ensures our ability to please the Father in our works on earth now. Uh, so to stay in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, I, I'll read verses 58 and 57. It says, But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The Lord lives. He is alive. He has been resurrected from the dead and lives right now. And so your work, the works that you do to please him are not in vain. They do please him as you work in the Lord. As you do the works that God sets before you, that you should walk in them, you please the Lord. And his resurrection, Christ Jesus' resurrection ensures that. Okay, the sixth distinct statement it says, he ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man in whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. So after Jesus' resurrection, after he has left the tomb, the disciples didn't, Peter and John, they didn't find him in there. They've, he's appeared before them uh, at this point, Jesus ascends into heaven, and we read about this in a couple of places, um, but here in, we, we see it pretty clearly in Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts 2, they're asking him questions, um, and he says, and he answers them, It's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and at the end, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go. So we read there a clear description of Jesus ascending into heaven. Now, as uh, Christ is in heaven, now he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is fully exhausted. Again, I go back to Philippians chapter 2, this time verses 9 and 12, which say, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above 
every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He sits now at the right hand of God where he mediates on our behalf to the Father as not only uh, one who merely cares about us, but one who cares, loves, and knows what it's like to be one of us. That is where he mediates now. Hebrews 2, uh, 14 and following uh, emphasize this. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through, uh, all those through fear of death were subject in lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and, high, and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ now has ascended into heaven. His work here is done on the cross. He cries, it is finished. And then he, uh, the God, the Father, raises him from the dead. And now he sits exalted, ruling in heaven. His work is done. He is seated and he's waiting. He's mediating now, but it's for you and me. And as I've, we've read in other passages, in the Acts passage there, the men who show up tell the disciples and those who are looking on something really important. He tells them this, that Jesus will return in the same way he left. As he went up to heaven in the clouds, he will return from the clouds. Jesus is coming back to finish a promise that was made at the very, very beginning of your Bibles. I'm going to turn there really quick. I'm going to turn to the first book and, the, and then the last book of the Bible. And um, I know that many of us, many of you have heard this and it's good to remind ourselves of this. Genesis 3, 15. The fall has just happened. Adam and Eve have sinned. God is putting a curse on the serpent and he curses man. And here's the curse on the serpent, or at least part of it. Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Christ Jesus is coming to fulfill this promise that the offspring of the woman, Jesus, the one who was born of a virgin in full humanity, came and will crush the head of Satan. And we see that this promise. Um, I'm going to turn now to Revelation to the end. I'm going to Revelation 22. If there's one thing you can't miss in the final verses of the Bible, it's this. Jesus is coming. I'm going to read um, verses 6 through the, uh, through the end, really, and, and, and notice what Jesus has to say. He says, and he said to me, Jesus said to John, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God and the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place soon. And behold, I am coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when he heard and saw them, I fell down at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'll pause there. Uh, Jesus is coming back and he is coming to finish his redemptive mission. From the beginning, in the garden, God made a promise and Jesus is returning to finish that promise. And finally, the eighth distinct statement in our confession is this. Now, right now, Jesus dwells in all believers. God the Son dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. See, God the Son now dwells within you by His Spirit. And I won't go much further here because that'll be next week as we um, learn and, and worship the Lord as hearing uh, His Word about God, the Holy Spirit. But know this, He's with you. And so I'll, I'll leave you uh, with, with these final words from Matthew, um, a reminder that Jesus is with you, and then a conclusion, uh, a simple, uh, quick ending. So, Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with you now. This eternal God, the ruling king on his throne right now is present with you. And so in conclusion, like I said at the beginning, don't allow these truths to be merely something that you know about Jesus. Because knowing about Jesus isn't comforting. Knowing him is. If you know him, then you know the encouragement that is in him. And if you know him, then you know the comfort from his love. You know the joy of having communion with him. You know obedience. And you know what it means to be humble. If you know him, then you know right now he is seated on his throne and that soon he will stand. And when he does, he will return to rule over all creation forever. Now, finally, you know that he is with you even right now and that he will be with you forever if you know him. And so I have a simple question to end here. Do you know him? Let's pray. Uh, Father God, um, you uh, are an amazing Lord, and I thank you. I thank you for Christ Jesus. Lord, we are all sinners who have fallen short, and 
it is humbling to be able to talk about such a heavy matter. The, the whole, the crux of my faith, I, I cannot imagine my life today without Christ. And so, Lord, I, I thank you that you sent yourself, your, your, your eternally begotten son, to, to be born into human history in a way that I can relate to, and to a man who has suffered like me. Lord, I am thankful that you lived perfectly, that you were obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross, and that through your resurrection, through your death and resurrection, my sin is paid for, and I have hope for tomorrow. I have hope that you do have power over all of this. So thank you so much for, for Christ. I pray this week we would be focused on him. It's his name we pray. Amen.